0: And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Welcome to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm your
1: host, Cam Edwards, coming to you not from the kitchen table tonight, but from just outside of Washington, D.C. And I am joined not by Miss E this evening, but by Mr. G., <clears throat> no, you know him as Jim Garrity uh, from National Review
2: Online. My friend Jim is with me. How are you, sir? Cam, it's good to be on your other program. I, I've been hearing great things about 40 Acres and a Fool, and I've enjoyed the uh, first couple of episodes. For longtime listeners, I was that skeptical friend in the opening episode who kind of thought you were crazy <laughs> moving down there. And. Uh, uh, very glad it's working out so well for you. Enjoyed visiting your place, and uh, you know it's it's a very special little home you've got down there. Nice property, and, and you know, great place to raise your family.
1: Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. I hope that Mickey White doesn't give you too much of a hard time for uh, for coming on another podcast instead of the Jim and Mickey show. She
2: will. Thank you for mentioning the fact that you've mentioned that. And I didn't. First of all, <laughs> I'm I'm sufficiently humble enough to not want to bring that up, but she'll be glad that it got you know yes. stuck in there. early. Let me
1: say that again: the Jim and Mickey Show, starring Hashtag Jim Gary and, and T-Jams. Yes. Find
2: us on Facebook and on SoundCloud. Out.
1: And yeah, we all I love the uh, I love the T jams hashtag. By the Thank way, you. always yeah. makes me smile when I
2: see T jams. <laughs> it sounds like toe jams or something like. I that. just, so I just really don't usually painful, think of you
1: know? what I think of is we be jamming, and you are about the unlikeliest <laughs> we be jamming. <laughs> uh, I don't give
2: off that vaguely reggae vibe. Jim yeah. not be
1: jamming, no, yeah. no. But no. Uh, but but T jams. It's, and and the, the Jim and Mickey show is a. Uh, it's a very fun show. It is very. Pop culture, uh, which, you know, it's interesting because your day job is writing about politics, writing about campaigns. Your podcast is about sort of the fluffy stuff uh, Mm. in life, right? And my job is to, uh, the day job is to talk about Second Amendment news and information. This podcast is, again, about sort of the fluffy stuff. Um, Quite literally, actually, this week, because we have little fluffy goat babies uh, that were born this week. So far, four With uh, at least two more to come.
2: That is fantastic, and I you know I, I knew you probably have described this on on the show. But it's a shame your your listeners can't see you with the goat on your back being fed. As I had a chance to see <laughs> when I visited you, that's just a wonderful visual. That, you know, I hope every listener can just picture you kind of bent over, hunched over, and the, the goat having leaped on your back, being fed from a bottle. And it was just a a beautiful, bizarre sight. Hey, I mean, it
1: was. I mean, that was uh, that was weird. Mister Freckles, uh, we we figured out. And this was just sort of at random, actually. Uh, now, Mr. Freckles is no longer with us, of course, but uh, but Freckles Junior lives on. So, uh, but when Freckles was a a kid, um, I was I was in the the goat pen one day, and I I was bending over to pick something up, and he jumped onto my back like a, and I kind of stood up, and he was up there like a parrot, uh, and I thought, well, this is. This is kind of cool. I, I, you know, as long as it didn't get too heavy. One um, of those Farmville, Virginia pirates. You know? <laughs> <Exactly>. Yard. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it was. It was. It was. It was neat. Uh, and you get all these cool little uh, experiences with with. You know, I'm a dog person. I mean, I've always had a dog, mm-hmm. but goats, and chickens, and and even pigs uh, are different. Now it's funny because I I'll, I'll come home, uh, and now the daylight savings time has ended. Uh it's daylight when I, I get home and the the pigs all run over when I pull into the driveway and I park my car and I get out and they all are going 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 and they run over to the fence so I have to go give the pigs a scratch now before I head inside like it's just it's weird.
2: It's so warm and affectionate for what eventually will be bacon. Exactly. Well
1: listen, my my attitude has been going into this and I think it it remains the same. Happy hogs. Make tasty bacon.
2: I have no doubt of that. And having eaten some of the, the when I was at your place, the, um, you your wife corrected me on what the color of an egg yolk suppose because you know us us you know actually, I, I suburbanites are urbanites. I, I pride myself on now living in authenticity woods right outside the
1: beltway. You're, you're a few miles from being an ex urbanite, but there you, you are you are clearly a suburbanite now. But
2: I had always thought egg yolks were supposed to be yellow and it turns out no, they're really supposed to be that bright <laughs> glowing orangey color. Where like when you first like, I was like wait are these are these right if I you know it's kind of like those the you want to call Chernobyl correct. eggs well, you, know. <laughs> you know you kind of want to you know, color correct on the screen. You know it's right. like watching a, a game of noisy state. You know, every time you're clicking through the channel, like the field is blue, you're hitting the side of the TV and stuff. And it turns out, no, they taste phenomenally better. Like I have been eating, to quote one of your goats, meh, meh eggs for my entire life. And instead, you know, the eggs, like just flat out eggs, salt and pepper, fantastically tasty when they come, you know, from a chicken's parts, you right. know, a, a couple, of, just a short while
1: ago. When they come from a real chicken. Pardon the uh, the, the, the honking of the, uh, the horns there in the uh, background. Um, you know, it is different. And I, I mean, we have gotten to the point now where so we have five hens uh, who are laying. We have 17 pullets that are young chickens. Uh, they're in that awkward teenager phase at the moment. So they're not quite ready to lay eggs yet. So we're down to five laying hens, which means on any given day we get from one to five eggs. Uh, and so we're now like flipping coins at the house of, okay, if we get two eggs today, who gets
2: eggs for breakfast? Wow. Is, it, uh, is, it, is it you or is it me? Is this all being subject to foxes killing chickens? Coyotes. Or, t- coyote. Yeah. Right?
1: Although we have not had a, we've not actually had a chicken lost for a while, but it just got down hmm. to uh, to five. I mean, this winter was, was bad and we were, you know, I think any place that has free range, animals in the winter is going to be a target for, for predators because there's just less food what for them eat? to eat. Uh, so I'm, I'm hopeful that with the arrival of spring and you know I'm certainly seeing more uh, critters out there like rabbits and uh, groundhogs and moles and things like that. I'm hoping that there will be more for the coyotes to eat. There will be a, a less need, less likelihood of them coming into my yard and mm-hmm. taking my stuff. But
2: so when did you know that it went from foxes? Remember that was the 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 threat of the summer mm-hmm. was foxes coming the, to the first chickens, yeah the first summer and then someone switched over to coyotes. When, you know, is there a seasonal?
1: No, we just we had I think coyotes from the get go. Oh, okay, I, right. I don't think it was a fox problem. I think I was just too stupid to to know what it actually was. But then there was a day where uh, I was outside and I heard the chickens. When the when the chickens when something happens. The chickens will make a sound like a car alarm. It's like, rong, rong, and they all start going off at once. Now, sometimes it happens because they'll scare each other or, you know, a breeze comes along. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason whatsoever. All of a sudden, everybody's is panic. It's kind of like
2: a Twitter freak out, actually, uh, just, yeah. you know. I was going to say chickens threat assessment skills. Uh, <laughs> there's a reason we call chicken little, right? Exactly you know? right. But but on this occasion,
1: it was, it was the real deal. Uh, so I ran down to where the chickens were. Were all honking, and the uh, the goat fence had had been pulled down in spots, uh, and a coyote had come after chickens. And I realized it was a coyote because it was still there. It was standing at the bottom of the of the hill. I was outside. I did not have a uh, firearm with me. I was just staring at the coyote. The coyote was staring back at me, uh, and then it turned and it it slowly there. sauntered off down the hill. How big was this coyote? It was it was good size. I mean, we're not talking. Uh, a a little uh, chihuahua uh, dog here. I would say if you're... Beagle? No, bigger than a beagle. um, Not quite like Labrador Retriever size, but, but
2: you know, probably 50 to 60 pounds. It was a decent size. That's a lot of coyote, and I'm assuming there was no giant acme device or rocket or it was not chasing a road runner it was i tried
1: to throw down this acme rubber hole oh, hoping that go. it would, yeah, it yeah. would fall yeah. in but it, it, it just walked the yeah. other way um that,
2: that, that'd be a little freaky a 60 to 50 60 pound you know Wild beast of some kind that is, you know, attempting to to go after my. Again, I didn't poultry. know enough
1: to be concerned at mm-hmm. that point. Now, I will say this, uh, and I've, I've since learned more about the wolves in the area, or actually, not the wolves, the coyotes in the area, but they do have some wolf DNA in them, a lot of them do, because uh, of the gray wolf coming down from Pennsylvania, the red wolf coming up from North Carolina, intermixing with the coyotes. And so as a result, uh, at least in our part of Virginia, I don't know if this is. The truth throughout the, the state of Virginia, but a, a, according to a trapper that I talked to, uh, the coyotes that we have are are uh, more pack oriented than coyotes out west, uh, and they are bigger than the coyotes that you would see out west. So we have super coyotes in Virginia. Yeah, 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 so Yay! Just wait till they start moving in. To Northern Virginia, and then you'll you won't have to worry about all the deer okay, where well, you live. I was going to say because we I, there are two.
2: You uh, won't be able to let your
1: kids play outside, yeah. but uh.
2: two species of wildlife that I have encountered in uh, I used to live in Yuppie Acres, uh, more commonly known as part of Alexandria, Virginia, uh, near your studios for NRA News. Mm-hmm. Uh, a perfectly fine, quasi-urban suburban, you know, uh, uh, you know community, you know. It was great. For, it was great for what you wanted. Great for what I wanted, when you, you know. When you live but there. the the wilderness we were encountering would be like frogs, you know, and fish in the fish pond and things like pigeons, squirrels. Yeah, squirrels yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, we are now in uh, you know outside the Beltway in Fairfax County. Uh, we have a fairly large wooded. Um, uh, park near us I, I say that uh, Authenticity Woods Is part of a National Spider Preserve uh, They grow about <laughs> you know, Let's say 60, 70 feet And uh, they're an Endangered species So you're not allowed To attack If they bite you And carry you away To the nest In a very Lord of the Rings Style fashion Right You're really not Allowed to fight back Because they're An endangered species so ah. and harm them I exaggerate slightly But they have giant spiders All over our property And um the nightmares are coming back, Cam. Anyway, that's... that's I, I Indiana and Jones had snakes. Yeah, and you have spiders. I hate spiders. Anyway, <laughs> um, so the two species I've run into in our new neighborhood are uh, foxes. A couple times out of the corner of my eye, I said, is that a you know a very orange-looking dog? Mm-hmm. And no, you know, like not a not a big one. Thankfully, it doesn't look to be like rabbit or anything. But you, you see a fox running around the neighborhood. Right. Um, and then the other one is deer. And you had made a mention about deer earlier. It's for oh, it's cute. Look, it's a deer. You know, kids come over here, take a look at that. It's not that you know. And then you're driving, and you see one eating a guy's uh, uh, garden and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, probably about a month ago, taking my yo- you know dropped off my older son at school, taking my younger son to his school, uh, and about eleven of them came out and started running across the road, not uncomfortably close to where I was driving. Right. But, you know, clearly had to hit the brakes and let them go by. And you know, we've, we've seen a couple, but like eleven, and I you know. Uh, and they were in a hurry. I don't know whether something had, you know, startled them or something like that. Um, so we we are, you know, if not quite, we are in the woods, let's just say. Not, yeah. you know, not far countryside, but nonetheless a very wooded area. Uh, and run into deer and thankfully, you know, nothing bad so far. But, uh, you know, I, I, you had mentioned something earlier There's some... I think you said that basically everyone in Fairfax County was in an accident with a deer last year. I right. was yeah. just
1: I was just looking this up the the number of deer car collisions in Fairfax County and and I, I read a story about this not long ago and I think it was something like five thousand deer car collisions last year in Fairfax County, Virginia. I mean it was some unbelievably high number and they're not really sure what to do because in western Fairfax County, uh, where where it is a little bit more exurban, they have a, a an urban archery uh season Mm -hmm. i think the city of fairfax is talking about bringing in uh not an urban archery season but actually bringing in archers to uh as sharpshooters to you know Mm -hmm. call the herd there in fairfax city but it's it's a real issue because you know you get into where where i used to live where you live you get closer to the beltway the houses um you're right there are wooded areas and there are these great little strips yeah. of woods that are perfect for deer but there are also a lot of houses close together and it is it's 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 really difficult to have any sort of archery season uh oh, and there's,
2: it, you know like I, there's a lovely park near our house and it's really really nice but if you throw a stone really hard mm-hmm. it's gonna there's a good chance it'll land in somebody's yard i can only imagine what you could do with a with a arrow or some sort of firearm or something like it's just not an option and so i don't know what you do you know i imagine they'll probably considering what i know of um uh look i should i should not be critical fairfax county that the schools are wonderful my neighbors are great this is not quite like yuppie acres like i used to make fun of (laughs) but i can very easily see if, if it was uh old yuppie acres in alexandria they would probably want to start a um for the deer a safe sex program uh, to encourage the deer to use protection to reduce the population of deer and uh, something like that,
1: you know. Actually, um, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought as we head to a uh, break here. Uh, I believe in Fairfax City they are talking about trying to do uh, the, the, the objection is coming from uh, people who don't want to see the deer hunted and instead they want uh, basically uh, deer operations uh, to spay, the the female deer in uh, Fairfax City. The problem is that Fairfax City is a very small part of Fairfax County. It's completely yes. surrounded by Fairfax County, and the deer don't actually take up permanent residence. They, they in Fairfax it, City. No, nobody, nobody, nobody can afford, afford this. City. The property yeah, taxes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. these are yeah. these are deer we're talking about here.
2: Yeah. Yeah, even the even the two bedrooms. Like, you know, they're not. So...
1: <laughs> but that is that's something that they're suggesting, and a lot of the wildlife biologists are saying, "Well, no, it won't yeah. work." But. Uh, They're trying. All right, listen, we're talking with Jim Garrity from National Review Online and from Authenticity Woods as well. When we come back, uh, more on the 40 Acres as well. Stick around. This is 40 Acres and a Fool
0: from the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to
1: 40 Acres and a Fool. Cam Edwards joined once again this week by my friend Jim Garrity, who hopefully... At some point this summer, we'll uh, also join us, but this oh, time it'll be it. from the farm, maybe in front of the fire with a, uh, a cold beer in our hands, and we can we or can bourbon. do the podcast, or, or a or a bourbon. Uh, we can do the podcast there. I got to tell you, I'm really looking forward to summer so that I can do the podcast from outside. And,
2: oh, man, the, uh, the ambient noise.
1: Right. You know. The sound of the, the frogs. You can hear the frogs now at night, but it's just oh. a little too cold for the... Uh, and we did bring in a, uh, one of our, our chickens, actually. So we actually have had livestock uh, on the uh, program. I would, I would, I would give you the sound of baby goats, um, but they're just not here. So you might have to wait until next week. But and really, baby goats don't sound nearly as adorable as they look. You know. Yeah,
2: that's a good point. That's, they just, that's, they eh, sound eh, like eh, a goat. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, so listen, we were uh, talking uh, off air about our uh, mutual friend Charles Cook and his new book. Uh, the Conservatarian Manifesto. At some point, we might be talking about a writing project between some other interested uh, yeah, parties. But uh, let's talk about The Conservatarian Manifesto. Uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, to, to read it last week. We had Charles on the uh, on the program. NRA News Cam & Company, which, of course, you can hear weekdays, 2 p.m. Eastern on nranews.com and uh, 5 p.m. Eastern live on Sportsman Channel. It's a It's a really interesting book, and I find myself... I think I'm probably eighty percent to ninety percent conservatarian. Hmm. I'm not sure I'm a down the line conservatarian, but uh, but there's there's a lot that you, you read in that book, and I and I think it might be true for conservatives, let's say under the age of fifty, uh, where there's probably a lot that you say, yeah, I, I kind of agree with this.
2: I, I, I would say I encountered very first of all. Let me get all the the prefaces out of the way. Sure. Uh, Charlie's a friend. Uh, he's a brilliant coworker. Um they the he there I I work with a lot of great people but Charlie has a lot of those stuff where you're like dang it why didn't I write that first right uh, and just, I always think you? why can't I sound like that when uh, i interview okay, so him, right Ugh. one of our one of the conferences we've been to now everybody you know everybody already reads him likes him he's a uh, he can be forceful and passionate and yet utterly uh sophisticated and intellectual depending on, on circumstances and uh, but a lot of people you know most of the time he's he's written a lot about being from Great Britain and and coming over here and he's in the process of of getting his be married uh, to another, another National Review employee and so he's um, but he's always had this you know, he's he's a wonderful charming guy and indisputably it's like for example on every single National Review cruise every cruise goer is like I have a lovely granddaughter who you would love to meet <laughs> and he's usually very polite and oh no I'm attached to this stuff now part of it is indeed the accent that he has. The most dignified and refined and sophisticated accent this side of Daniel Hannon, the mm. member of European Parliament. If you or I had had Charlie Cook's accent, we could have taken over the world. We, we, would, we would have used, we would use that power for evil instead of good, you know? <laughs> um, Because I, I was at a conference last year in Texas, and a lot of people in the room had heard the name Charlie Cook, had read him, may have seen his picture, but had not heard him speak. Right. They're on the panel, they go down the, the line, and all of a sudden they turn, yeah, and Charlie Cook of National, Re- I'm sorry, Charles C.W. Cook of National Review. What, what do you think? Well, on this issue, I've, you know, and he just begins to speak, and you he just heard this, this this intake of air throughout the entire room. And I don't, I hope I don't embarrass him. but like, like it was, it was almost every woman in the room, old, young, married, single. All oh, all I hope, stuff.
1: You, I hope you do embarrass him. I mean, listen, I have, hearts were fluttering. You know. I, I told Charles as soon as the women of 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 the conservatarian movement discover. <laughs> that they can buy a six-hour audiobook of Charles <laughs> reading the Conservatarian Manifesto, this thing is going to the top of the charts. This is going to be bigger than yeah. Barack Obama reading Dreams from
2: My Father. One of those rare books where the audiobook sells a lot better <laughs> right. than the actual hardcover. Exactly. Um, no, I, I, first of all, he, he is a, here's the thing. If he were a jerk, we'd really be making fun of him. But yeah, because he is such a great, charming, nice guy, um, certainly I, I hope he can, he doesn't mind this, And undoubtedly, like, there's a reason he's such a popular guy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and, he's
2: the Paul McCartney of National Review.
1: And here's the thing. Um, While it is probably true that there are thousands of Americans who would pay to hear Charles read the phone book. Yes. uh, You're actually reading something a bit more substantive or hearing something a bit Mm. more substantive. Uh, with the Conservatory Manifesto. So we had the opportunity to talk with Charles. And, you know, I asked him. If, and first of all, he acknowledges that the, the word conservatarian is not his word. Um, this is something that I think was uh, going around. I think it was, it was a, maybe on a Free Republic thread. I, yeah. Anyway, somebody had come up with this word to describe um, that sort of blend of the libertarian uh, slash conservative. That is... Uh, strong on national security. Let's let's find the terrorists. Let's kill the terrorists. Let's protect our nation. Uh, but is 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 very much in favor of the free market, um, and is very much in favor of smaller government, and is also in favor of expanded civil liberties. And uh, I, I think there are maybe, you know, a couple of areas, probably the most contentious area, I would say, in the book is, is the war on drugs. Mm. Would, you, would, would you agree that that's the one of the big the, the big points of contention between libertarians and conservatives?
2: Yeah, I, actually, I was, actually, that's a very good way. And I think it's a good way of saying that separate from the issue of marijuana, mm-hmm. which probably is something you and I have debated a bunch of times, mm-hmm. that that there might be a movement within conservatives or Republicans drifting towards, if not legalization, decriminalization. But I think most libertarians believe, no, it's my body. If I want to put something into my body, I'm going to do it. And, you know, the folks at Reason Magazine, who, you know, great guys, but you would say, oh, no, we should, you should be able to buy cocaine at the corner store. You should be able to buy heroin. It's your free... And, and most people, at least certainly most conservatives, are like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you're using what you're selling, man. You know, that... that uh, um, I was going to say, I'll, I'll let you finish your point, but I, I have a. I look, Charlie is a brilliant guy and it is a brilliant book. I do have a slight bone to pick, but I'll, I'll let you uh, uh, wrap up your, or, or you know, give a sense of your your take on, or, or did you have those moments where you're like,
1: eh. You know, I don't know if I had those moments where I went, eh, I, 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 I I really liked his chapter on guns, obviously, mm-hmm. which he, he, he called the hey. success story of mm-hmm. the conservatarian movement. Uh, and the war on drugs was the... the, the Failure, mm-hmm. uh, the biggest failure of the uh, conservative movement, uh, where this has failed, and and that was you know again that sort of hinge. Um, but there is a, a lot actually in the book that I like. Why we care about the Constitution, for instance. There's a lot that is uh, it's it's very basic, it's very primary um, and and foundational in its. In it's discussion about, you know, where conservatives and libertarians actually agree. Mm. You know, we 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 do agree that the Constitution uh, is the bedrock of uh, of our laws. We do agree that it should not be ignored. We do agree that it should not be uh, reinterpreted. If you want to change the Constitution. There's a way to do it. It's called a constitutional amendment. It's hard. It hasn't been done many times in this nation's history. That's the way it's supposed to be. It shouldn't be easy to just say, oh, look, I found a a, a penumbra dangling down. Hey, look what's attached to this penumbra, everybody. It's an emanation. Wow. And, and, you know, so I think that it is. I read it almost as not just a manifesto of here's the conservatarian principles, but almost an appeal to libertarians and conservatives to to recognize you can work together on on a lot of these issues you don't have to uh, be at odds and these two uh, uh, stools don 't have to be at odds because in many ways uh, those who describe themselves as libertarians those who describe themselves as conservatives are not doctrinaire conservatives or libertarians. There is a blending mm-hmm. and this 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 sort of new I don't know if you want to call it the, the the middle, the silent majority, whatever. But there is, I think, a, a, an emerging group of Americans uh, who broadly fit this pattern that Charlie
2: describes. Mm-hmm. I, I think if you look, think of conservatives as being you know, a Venn diagram, right, two circles, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of overlap there. And, and one of the things that I think, you know, it, it almost is instinctive or, or businessly need to be said, this sense that uh, on a lot of issues, conservatives and libertarians are going to line up with, and, and have always lined up. School choice, right? Uh, limiting the size and scope of government. Um, probably, you know, some element of tort reform or whether, you know, how many things get dragged into the legal system and, and tied up in lawsuits, things like that. Guns has always been an issue. Um, probably a, a good portion of homeschooling. The entire Leave Me Alone coalition right. is something that conservatives and Republicans have tapped into and certainly has is at the element, at the heart of libertarianism. I think there are a lot of people... Who have the conservatarian label and probably never really think about it, mm-hmm. right? Who just they just kind of follow their instincts. They just kind of like, oh, you know, like no, government shouldn't be doing that. You know, um, there are two groups of people, the two people who would most likely to object to this book, and I kind of felt like it was two uh, two groups that I think Charlie was trying to be the trying to reach out to the the taste great crowd and the less filling crowd and bring them (laughs) together to appreciate, you know, like two groups that have always been at odds, always been butting heads like two rams and like, no, no, no. Let us break bread together and let us see what we have in common. And here's the problem. Rhino. Well, there's that, you know. (laughs) And of course he is. Um... He, he had written something rather critical of Ted Cruz earlier this week. And I just put up a picture on Twitter of the angry, angry torch bearing crowd from the <laughs> Simpsons. I said, Oh, Charlie, there's some people at the door. Who have a comment or two about your piece on Ted Cruz. Um, that, that he's trying to make, he, he's making a very well reasoned, well thought out um, convincing argument to two groups of people who are utterly immune to well-reasoned, well-thought-out arguments. And what it is, is that both, I'd say... You don't die, want to be convinced. Well, Correct. diehard libertarians and diehard capital C social conserv- you know oftentimes social conservatives, mm-hmm. define each other in opposition to each other and don't want to be, you know, because you know, yeah. every time there's a, a election where... Uh, you know The Republican loses by three points And the Libertarian candidate got four or five points Somebody will make the argument Well, obviously look, Republicans need to reach out to members of the Libertarian Party And I keep saying, no, no Members of the Libertarian Party Which are slightly different from Libertarians as a whole but, you know, Capital L Libertarians right. Are not Republicans Because if they were, they'd be members of the Republican Party right? <laughs> I mean, They know exactly what they're doing They know there's a chance they're going to throw the, the, the race to the Democrat And they don't care because to them, Republicans are every bit the problem or, or as much the problem as Democrats are. And you can talk to them till they're blue in the face. Like, it's part of their identity. It's part of who they are. And if, you know, When they say, I am a libertarian, it's very much, I am not a Republican. I am not a conservative. Like, there, for, there's a certain number of people. And I kind of felt like you know Charlie kind of was trying to reach out to this crowd. Where it would always be really cool, particularly in the Washington, D.C. circles, to say, oh, I'm a libertarian. What it means is I'm not a progressive, I'm not a liberal, I'm not a Democrat, yeah. but please don't yell at me. <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm not like those guys, you know, the, the Huckabee types. you know, all that kind of stuff. But really what it means is like, look, I'm, I'm, I don't agree with you, you crazy, you know, you know, progressive who wants to nationalize the banks and take over. But I really don't want to have that argument right now. So I'll tell you that I'm libertarian. And that kind of is that, you know, there's a certain, libertarians are hipster conservatives.
1: Um. Yeah. I, I. I can. I can. I can see that argument being. Not right. all of them, but no. A, yeah. I don't think so.
2: Um.
1: But. But. You know. It's. It, it's interesting. And I. I. I don't know. I think broadly speaking. Um. The. The conservative movement is. Is generally headed. I think where. Where Charles. Uh, mm. Lays out. You know where we're going here. I. You know I was talking with Tony Katz, our friend on mm-hmm. uh, the WIBC in Indianapolis today, and he was asking me about uh, the religious freedom bill that is, uh, I guess, before Governor Pence in Indiana. And I've not read the the bill here, so I couldn't comment on uh, the the legislation, but we were talking about, you know, religious freedom. And I I said if we live in a country where we want religious freedom for ourselves, that means we're also going to have to uh, have religious freedom for people whom we disagree with very, very much on the subject of religion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is something that has always been, I, I think, a part of our of our country. I mean, the more history you know, the more you know that we've always been fractious. We've always had uh, various swirling groups, and you know, uh, uh, temporary alliances. And there's always been that that multi-legged stool. There's always been that cobbling together of various groups. Uh, Madison recognized this. This is this is one of the things that he thought would keep uh, the, the the passions of the people in check, because you would have these competing interests, and you would have these. Uh, the, these you know legs of a coalition. Um, it it it. What I wonder is whether or not uh, this gets just squashed by the uh, by the by the soft authoritarianism that we're seeing here. Because you know, on the one hand, you have I think this message again of individual liberty and individual freedom. Uh, we have to uh, maybe uh, again re- assume responsibilities for ourselves. That that you know, what's the the line with great. Power comes great responsibility, right? Well, with great liberty, I, I comes great responsibility as well. Um, but, but on the other side, I mean, we have this this sort of celebration of soft authoritarianism right now, right? Uh, we have a a a a, a pundit class uh, cheering on President Obama uh, in many cases and, and urging him to uh, to act unilaterally. We had members of Congress when it came to this ammo ban saying. Don't listen to us. Don't wait for us. ATF, just go ahead and ban this ammo. Mm-hmm. President Obama, ban the ammo. Don't wait for Congress to do his job. That is, I think, the, you know, that's the the opposing force right now. That's where the momentum is on the left, or at least where uh, the, the the activist base is coming from. This this idea of as long as our guy's in there, mm. let's do whatever the hell we want.
2: Yeah. Hey, there's something ugly and hungry and authoritarian and, uh, and bullying at the heart of the Democratic Party and the left these days. Um, it, it's interesting. It's one of the things you'd like to think that in the face of this look very blunt assault on, look, look, a, a, you know, uh, the metaphor I keep using is since the, the, um, since the midterms, President Obama has been like Ultron there are no strings on me, right? He doesn't face re-election anymore. He can do whatever the heck he wants. He knows he's not going to get impeached. He knows there'll never be the votes in the Senate. So he can, you know, do whatever the heck you can get away with. And you know what? At some point, maybe in the future, maybe five Supreme Court justices will say, no, you can't do that. Maybe. Right. Until then, you know, domestic, abroad, do whatever you want. You'd like to think that would unify everybody who is not in that movement, anyone who is not in that. Um, as you mentioned earlier, like I could live, I, I think most social conservatives, I, I would tell most social conservatives, we could live very happily in a world run by libertarians. Because <clears throat> we'd be able to teach our kids whatever the heck we wanted, hmm. we'd be able to, to pass on our values, we would have <clears throat> be able within our communities you know, to be as open about our faith and open about our beliefs and our values any way we want, and the government would never step in and say, no, you can't do that. There would never be a mandate from on high that you have to provide birth control to your employees or stuff like that. Right. There would never be the state coming in and saying, hey, you have to make that wedding cake for that couple if it violates your value. Like you that's,
1: probably would not have, you know, SWAT teams raiding farms for raw milk and bingo, things right? like I mean, that. that right. There's a
2: lot to be said. No, look, now, again, the corner store might have heroin, right? There, there are potential. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to be utopia. <laughs> You know, but I, you know, as somebody who believes in limited government and, and individual responsibility and believes in my ability to make the, the life that I want to live in America, I, I could live very happily in that. Whereas I think a lot of libertarians would not be able to live happily in a world run by social conservatives. But having said that, neither one of their visions are anywhere near as bad as this. Right. Like what right. we're getting right now of government unbound and, and just reaching into every corner of life. They can get into. And that, yeah. and
1: I don't want to interject, okay. but I think, you know, that ultimately is, is I think Charles would say the, the heart of conservatarianism is federalism, mm. Um, and I you know and again, we could get into the weeds with federalism and what does it mean? Uh, the Second Amendment you know uh, is, it was was written to protect against Congress, uh, but now it's been incorporated to, to include the you know uh, action against the state. So uh, you know where does these where, where does the laboratory of experimentation uh, end and a violation of your individual rights begin? Uh, in, a, in a federalist system where states have, you know, much more leeway to, uh, to pass laws. Um, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating question. I, again, I think most people would would say, yes, they would rather live in a place where uh, if a if we're still a mobile society, if we're if we're still a society where you can leave mm. a bad place uh, where there are 49 other options out there that, that are different. Uh, I don't think anybody would, would like to live in, um, you know, the, the United States of Massachusetts, for instance, or the United States of Berkeley. It would be nice if you could get away. Mm. Uh, but, I you know, th- that's that I think really is, as you say, I mean, that's sort of the the yin to the Obama administration's yang right now, which is uh, no check on power. And the states have no authority. You, as an individual, have no real choice in in in, in your life or in these matters. He loves mandates,
2: right? Everybody's gonna have to. Everybody's got to buy health insurance. Everybody's gonna have to vote. You
1: know. Oh just wait till uh, adult fun camp opens up. (laughs) (laughs) That's Hillary, though. That's not. uh, That's just uh, you know. That's Hillary carrying on (laughs) the (laughs) tradition. All right, can you stick around for a little bit longer? Absolutely. All right, we've got more with Jim Garrity from Nash Review Online's the campaign spot. Uh, We'll talk more 40-acre fool stuff. I realize we kind of took a little bit of a uh, detour here this last segment. But you know what? Charles has been out on the farm as well. Charles had a great time, and he's going to be coming back this summer as well. All right, stick around. We'll be right back with more 40 Acres and a Fool here in the Blaze Radio Network.
0: 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back.
1: It is 40 Acres and a Fool. Cam Edwards, your host. The email address, by the way, is 40 Acre. Fool at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Cam Edwards. Coming up a little bit later on in the program, we're going to talk guard donkeys. We uh, got an email from uh, our listener, Bethany, who uh, also tunes into NRA News Cam and Company, uh, with the great idea of a guard donkey to help keep the coyotes away. Oh, all right. right? Our friend Jim Garrity is with us as well. And as I mentioned, I'm not at the kitchen table this evening. I had to travel up to Washington, D.C. Getting getting into the, 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 the first quarter, actually, this year has been a lot of travel. There was the SHOT Show. There was the Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which was a just a, a great, great event. Uh, then there was the Conservative Political Action Conference so just outside of Washington, D.C. And in a couple of weeks, there is the NRA annual annual meetings in nashville tennessee i am so excited about this april 10th 11th and 12th and you were going to be there you're going to be one of many there i am
2: okay this is like really a little more than two weeks away yeah the time of this taping um this is always one of my favorite conventions of the year uh i've been to say i went to charlotte i went to pittsburgh i went to um Last year in Indianapolis, and I think last year might have been one of my favorites. Uh, and it's it's Andy like was great, wasn't it? Uh, you know, great atmosphere. First of all, if the only thing you know about Indianapolis is the Colts and the Indianapolis Five Hundred, right? It's a fun town. They're really, really is. nice people. Uh, everything you hear about Indian Indi- Indi- Indians, no, uh, Indians, Indianapolisites. In- those folks out there, all just you know, friendly and nice and warm and welp- welcoming as you could be. And I'd say, you know, having been to a bunch of Republican uh, national conventions and presidential years, not every town is welcoming. <sighs>
1: Part of it, I think, is just a setup for a national political convention. Now, uh, St. Paul audition, was, yeah. the, was the was the the only one that I've attended, and it really was like walking into a war zone when you. When you yeah. got close to the convention center, I mean, it just it it, it saps the fun oh. uh, out of, of the experience. That I think. That has
2: become increasingly standard for net big political conventions. But the, the angle I was kind of asked, and St. Paul, funny you mentioned St. Paul, I, I've been to a whole bunch. Of, I've been, New York City, 2004, mm-hmm. right? You know, George W. Bush uh, second running for a second term, and everybody knows. Look, it's New York City. They full of liberals, full of Democrats. They can't stand Republicans. They were more welcoming than people in St. Paul were. It was <laughs> yeah. weird vibe. Even Philadelphia in 2000 was like, eh, okay, you're here. Come on, spend some money. Right. Uh, this is a, with Minnesota, we didn't people, see any of that Minnesota People were, people were angry. Yeah. Why are you here? Exactly. You are know. you going
1: to kidnap Carison Keeler? Are you going to take him away from us? Are you, <laughs> you going to just snatch him away and then just take him back home? And then that was the year that you know Sarah Palin... I had just burst onto the scene,
2: and of course, everybody really, I remember the crowds throwing loot fisk (laughs) at us and threatening to dump us, and Lake will be gone, and nobody would ever see us again. Right, it was not a quiet week in St. Paul. All those nasty Scandinavian hordes. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, no. Hordes. 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 (laughs) Um, I thought this was T-Jams for a second. Whoa. Uh, Anyway, uh, Nashville. Nashville. Nashville, I've not been there. I've heard nothing but good things about the town. It seems like, you know, Music City, it's going to be a fun time. And, you know, for people like me, I I imagine lots of prominent political figures. It's always kind of a.
1: Can I get your can I get you going here? Uh, And I'll just tell you a little bit about uh, who's going to be at the celebration of American Values Leadership Forum. Okay, go ahead. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Jim can attest. There are no notes in front of me. Uh, Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal. Of course, my friend. Uh, governor Scott
2: Walker Big from governor. Wisconsin. The baby Jesus right now. Everybody loves him. Uh,
1: Senator Ted Cruz
2: from I, Texas. The new baby Jesus. Everybody loves him even more now. <laughs> Senator Marco Rubio from Florida. Uh, you know, it's probably the next baby Jesus. Everybody's <laughs> love, yeah, yeah. <laughs> baby Cuban Jesus. There you uh, go. Then we have baby, former baby Jesus. former Texas Governor Rick Perry he's going to be speaking. Well, he, will he actually, you talked coyotes earlier. Will he kill a coyote while he's on stage? He, he, he did it while John. He might. He yes, might he do it
1: while John dog. might yeah. do a reenactment. Um, in addition to that, let's see. Uh, I know that uh, Donald Trump is going to be there. Sarah Palin is going to be speaking. Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark is going to be speaking. I feel like I'm leaving out uh, Indiana Governor Mike Pence uh, is going to be speaking. I feel like I'm leaving out some prospective uh, uh, presidential candidates. Ben Carson, I don't believe, is speaking. Chris Christie, I don't believe, is speaking. Every other potential candidate, I believe, is going to be in attendance there. Jeb Bush? Jeb Bush is going to be there. Uh,
2: yeah, that would be interesting.
1: Former Governor Jeb Bush, yes.
2: Um, okay, so obviously, look, it's, Rick Santorum is uh, going to be uh, there. Mike, uh, I Huckabee. believe Mike Huckabee is going to be there. I believe. I, I just, I'd be really to, surprised if he wasn't there. I have to double check, but yeah. I believe that is the. I believe that he's coming. So it's not officially a you know Republican presidential candidate event, but almost all of them show up, and almost all of them are there to say, look, look, there's eighty thousand you know people there. Many, but not all, registered Republicans. Many, but all, people who are very active in politics mm-hmm. and follow Second Amendment issues. People, people These are who care people about this who vote. Yeah, I mean exactly. that's the thing. Uh, and it's a great chance to. It's kind of an unofficial audition. You know, it's here's a stage, here's an audience. What you know, charm us, tell us what you want to do. So, you know, give us a sense of your vision. And uh, I remember, probably Palin and Charlotte. I remember just just raising the roof off the arena. I mean, there, there was a the thunderous welcome for her back in that year. Um, there have been other years where I've kind of felt like it wasn't as uh, the crowd may not necessarily have necessarily been as been as engaged or, or something. I think I think last year was pretty. And you know, I remember Pence as the host governor. That was mm-hmm. kind of one of his chances to kind of, hey, look at me. Here's my vision. Here's what we're doing here. Right. Um,
1: It'll be. I'm. I'm, yeah. I'm actually curious to see what the what the uh, reaction from the crowd will be. It'll be positive. I mean, I know that, mm. but I I get the sense that. I think you pointed out uh, earlier this week, Ted Cruz, his favorable, unfavorable ratings right now, something like 22 percent favorable, 28 percent unfavorable, meaning a lot of Americans don't have an opinion of Ted yeah. Cruz. And that's the case, I think, for virtually every one of these candidates is that I I what I expect to see from the audience there, the celebration for American leadership values is uh, a lot of listening, actually, a lot of curiosity okay what. What are these folks going to tell me? And A, is it going to be the standard political speech? B, are they actually going to try to talk to me as a gun owner? Uh, how much do they know about these issues? Are we going to get, you know, boilerplate language? Or are we going to get an exploration of some of the things going on right now, like uh, campus carry or the ammo ban mm. that Congress is attempting? Yeah. Um, th- this is a an opportunity for, you know, I, I, I hope, generally speaking, um, that throughout this political process, that we don't find ourselves as a movement falling in love with a candidate, yeah. uh, the way that that uh, uh, you know folks fell in love with President Obama back in two thousand eight. I think these candidates should have the opportunity to earn our respect, to earn our vote, to uh, to possibly even earn our trust, mm. uh, but not our adulation.
2: I just say I, I wrote about this I think earlier in the week, and it, it, you see it on Twitter, you see it in the comment sections on National Review Online. I'm sure you're seeing it from your list. Look. If you're if you're listening to your program, if you're reading my site, you're, you're into politics. Mm. You, know, you follow these things. I don't. You know. I completely understand having opinions on, on all the names we mentioned. I don't quite get. You know. It's March two thousand fifteen. Right. Next month will be April. I don't quite get. I, mean, I I can even understand having a favorite. I don't quite get. That's my guy, and everybody else stinks. And and you know I will attack all all other options or something. Right. I don't get the what's that you know married on the first date show or something like that. Oh, married at first sight. (laughs) Why are we marrying any potential presidential candidate? You know, considering how one most of these guys are relatively new to the national stage. You Mm -hmm. know, some guys like Walker have definitely been in high pressure situations for a good portion of their you know careers. But um, running for you know people who have done it successfully, people who've done it unsuccessfully will tell you it's hard. I mean, you are under a microscope, under like like no other way you've ever experienced, and and every uh, statement is a potential gaffe, and that's why some people get very guarded. And you can see them talking to their sticking to the talking points, and it feels like you're uh, listening to a broken record. And, and you know, like it's hard because you want to be charming, you want to be authentic, but you don't want to say something that's going to get you in trouble, and you have to have an opinion and know about so many different issues. Um, as you mentioned, like probably one of the biggest and most interesting measuring sticks will be who goes and gives a, a speech that is tailored to this audience and addresses all of these guns, these issues that are on the minds of gun owners that are mm-hmm. particularly of, of this. You know, this this is not this. Like I said this is not necessarily a Republican crowd. This is not necessarily a conservative crowd. There can be some overlap, right? But they're there because this is this is an issue they care deeply about, and if you give them the standard sum speech. Look, the crowd's going to be polite. They're not going to boo or anything like that. But, you know, you're not going to do yourself nearly as much good as you can if you, one, if you study up and brush it up. But I have a suspicion that even the ones who are, like, reading the Notes versions of these things right, versus, you know, uh, the, the ones who are just you have been leaders on this issue in their states and in their, you know, and across the country. And, you know, hopefully, you know, I, look, it's not, it's not like the Republican nomination gets won or lost at this. But each one of these guys can do themselves some good, or they can conceivably do themselves some some damage if they go up there and really just completely flop.
1: Yeah, and I would say that uh, this is going to be uh, the first really high-profile appearance for for all of these potential candidates. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we may have a couple more officially declared candidates by the time the annual meeting rolls around. Uh, This may be, in fact, the only time that you see uh, these individuals anywhere close to being on the same stage at the same time uh, until the first debate.
2: Yeah, which is probably around September or so of this year. So, right,
1: yeah. and so again, it won't be necessarily the a debate or interaction, but you will you will get the. It's not a cattle call either. It's not the mm. you know five minute stump speech. This is an opportunity for. For all of these uh, individuals to uh, to present themselves and introduce themselves to gun owners across the country. As I said, it's going to be, I think, a very important event. And it is just one of the many events that are taking place in Nashville. I mean, like so you were talking last year about Indianapolis, which mm-hmm. is a fantastic annual meeting. Uh, this year, I found out, Jim, this is so cool. So outside now of the convention center... Mm-hmm. The experience will continue. There is an NRA country stage that's going to be set up on the street, and it's basically going to be a block party. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with live country music all weekend long. Then there is the uh, Freedom Experience, which has all kinds of interactive, like the NFL experience of the Super Bowl. That's going to be out on the street as well. Um, This is just getting... It's 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 getting enormous. I mean, like you know the energy and you know the just the excitement, yeah. how happy people are to be at the NRA annual meeting when they're there. Um, I don't think Nashville has ever seen anything like this. I mean, it's no. going to be their biggest convention. I found out, as a matter of fact, I, I read that when the NRA announced that they were uh, coming to Nashville in 2015, that was back in 2010. The estimated attendance back then, they they thought, okay, we might get 48,000 people there to Nashville. Now, the projected attendance is over seventy thousand.
2: I'm guessing you know it's kind of centrally located in the country. There's probably a two hour drive mm-hmm. two, three hours in every direction. and You're the gonna, interest yeah,
1: yeah. and the I think the interest of uh, you know, among gun owners, I think the involvement among gun owners has, mm-hmm. Has grown since 2010, oh, yeah. um, and and that's a remember you know we keep seeing the uh, the news that uh, fewer Americans than ever before own firearms. It's just that they're like 14 people. Uh, they all live in Tennessee, and they yeah. all own 50,000 guns apiece. Yeah, um, yeah. You know you 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 hear these sorts of uh, these sorts of stories, and then you see the growth in the annual meetings, the growth in concealed carry across the country, uh, the the simple uh, sheer number of firearms sold every year. And it's just kind of a, a ludicrous argument. Uh, there's no way that you can go to an NRA annual meeting, compare that to an inter-annual meeting from like 10 years ago, and honestly come to the conclusion that, uh, oh boy, guns are disappearing. It's really becoming uh, you know, a niche, you know, you know, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Niche audience. Um, I guess, when, you know, probably for anybody who's listening to the podcast and thinking about going, look, obviously the political angle is a big deal. Uh, but the floor show, I, I always is always one of my favorite. Experiences. The exhibit walk hall. Through, the exhibit hall. I just oh, yeah. see every like the, the, you know you, you kind of have this idea of what small business is in America and then you go to it and there are co- you know companies i've never heard of and and they're they're all you know, a lot of them are small and they're making everything from you know obviously firearms to holsters to hilts to hunting knives to backpack every every conceivable thing a lot of it hunting but not just hunting mm-hmm. uh, the wine club is is always there and yep. it's just kind of a a Seeing the the breadth and depth of this culture in America that is very much you know uh, rarely covered by the mainstream media and when it is it's usually covered badly uh, and, and kind of demonized you get to see it there uh, kind of a big aspect of the American industry uh, of the American economy that you never get to see otherwise um, and then it's just people as you said at the end of having this block party like it's interesting that this will be the first time I think they've had a formal block party. And, uh, right. I think, but there's always just this atmosphere of you know, right outside outside uh, Lucas Oil, and you're you're walking down the street and you run, run into people and you notice people you saw from previous conventions or other stuff like that. You so go to say, a restaurant and you yeah, see oh, okay. it,
1: right. And in fact, I my story from uh, last year, I was 10 seconds late to being in the same restaurant as Tom Selleck.
2: Ah. Uh. Ten seconds. I was so upset. I, was, oh, I well, the just other thing it. is, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot because I know you've mentioned this before. And now, so um, when you work with in front of an audience, like you do, mm-hmm. like I do, you know, we, we most of the time we walk down the street, nobody cares who the heck we are. We are, right. we are nobody. On a National Review cruise at CPAC, certain places, I am a big deal, and you've, you've said that for three days a year. You are a rock star. You are you are Kanye. You are I have not Taylor called myself Swift. Kanye, yeah, by you know. the way.
1: I've not said right. I'm Taylor Swift.
2: Uh you are you are who you know. Gaga. There you're you're lady you're you know <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly the metaphor I was going to go for. But the idea is like for you, like, you know, every NRA news listener not every but a, a big chunk of, of the eighty thousand listeners there are listening to NRA news at some point, recognize you, read your column in the the magazine, and you know, you're you know I've seen when you interviewed, you know, Ted Nugent. There is a a crowd, forty people deep in each direction from yeah.
1: the It's fun. I mean, it's 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 really. You know, said so we were talking about Charles earlier. Uh, I had the opportunity to go have a, a lunch with Charles in Indianapolis. And we went to Steak and Shake because he had never been to Steak and Shake. I'm like, well, I'm taking you <laughs> a great to American, Steak yeah, and Shake, yeah. exactly. And so we go in, and there are you know people uh, who, who watch the show, and hey, Cam, and they're talking. to them. they read the column? And hey, Cam, and Charles is just looking bemusedly, like, well, I didn't expect this to happen, uh, and it was it was really funny, but to me. The best part, I think, about just getting to meet people who, who listen to the show is is getting to meet people who listen to the show and getting to to talk with them mm-hmm. and find out, well, what do you like about the show and why do you listen and, and get to know more about them? I mean, you know, I started out as a reporter uh, and I don't think that that will that curiosity will ever leave me. I always I, I truly believe that every person has a really interesting story to tell. It's just a matter of asking the right questions. So. I'm I'm always just so grateful that I get the opportunity to to get to meet these folks because every one of them has a cool story. Mm. And I always feel like I learn uh, and benefit so much from getting to meet people uh, at, at these events. And so, you know, every year I get to meet old friends. I get to meet and make new friends and. You know, looking at the greatest, the latest guns and gear, and there's going to be some new stuff uh, that is making its debut at the annual meeting this year. Uh, some some stuff big, some stuff small, some stuff that's unexpected, some stuff that everybody's uh, been looking forward to seeing. But to me, it's the it's just those 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 interactions uh, in the aisles and uh, at the restaurant. Uh, you know, as you're walking in the elevator of the hotel and you you run across somebody, it's those. Just those sort of chance encounters that, mm-hmm. that really make the annual meeting what it
2: is. You know, I think it is also that, you know, if you, if you cover politics or you cover Second Amendment issues, the news isn't always good. Right. Sometimes, yep. you know, can you believe what? Well, I would tell you what um, every town. Is, is tweeting these days but they blocked me so I can't tell you, you know. but <laughs> uh, idea, I th-
1: think they're still on there your daughter's drunk yes your you daughter know. she can't be trusted I think that's still their argument you
2: know, the, the opposition will make shameless arguments they will demonize like the, the news it, it, can be, it can be enraging it can be really infuriating can really you. so then you go to the NRA annual meeting and you encounter all these people and you know that, that this is the you know, these are our audiences these are people who, who the are living to and these they're, and the living refutation the and everybody's happy. Right. Right. He's in a good mood right i mean like the you know, wait the, you're not new... paranoid at all <laughs> <laughs> you're not twitching and keeping to yourself you know um no like there's this it is really nice to see this movement in the flesh and and to see and to refute those stereotypes but also just again like because the news is often so depressing to go and just spend two or three days around people who are happy is a you know
1: it really is uh, nice it really it really does uh, recharge the batteries all right listen we got to take a uh, another timeout um stick around for one more second sure all right We uh, will continue with Jim Garrity here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network right after this.
0: You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Plays Radio Network.
1: Thank you so much for being a part of this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I know we haven't talked a lot about farm stuff, but uh, I I will talk about this uh, email that I got from uh, Bethany, who let me know about guard donkeys. Uh, Now, Bethany does not have a guard donkey herself, but her neighbor has a guard donkey and says that they have not had problems with coyotes, I, I said I was a little concerned because right now the problem is, uh, if we have a guard donkey, then it, we gotta we gotta put up fencing around the garden and cover up everything we don't want the guard uh, yeah. donkey to eat. Shh. Bethany says we can put the guard donkey in with the goats. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be that the guard donkey needs access to attack a coyote, but that the presence of the donkey there, the braying of the donkey if it sees the coyote, that that will be enough to uh, keep the coyotes away.
2: Huh. I'd say, could you have some sort of motion detector associated with, well, then the chickens might set it off or something like that. But, you know, something that would just set off the donkey sound. Kind of a donkey cry, the same way you know, just a fake donkey. Well, you're saying. Ben Kenobi scares off the uh, the stormtroopers oh. by making the sound of a crate dragon, right on you know, Tatooine, right. That's um, exactly <laughs> the yes. reference you were thinking of. There, it was to scare, you know, so something that would scare off the. Crate. But then you have like the sound of a donkey going at all hours. If it goes off in the middle of the night, and yeah, and then you like don't that. want
1: that. It's bad enough that we have roosters going all day long. It was funny. I was talking to a uh, a friend of mine who who um, lives in the suburbs of DC. Uh, but has about an acre mm-hmm. and uh, has three chickens in his yard now. And I was asking him how it was going, and uh, and he said, yeah, it's, it's good. He said, I had to get rid of my two roosters. He said, I didn't realize that they, they crowed like, all the time. He said, They don't just crow in the morning. And no, they don't. Roosters.
2: You lied to me, children's story, but. Right?
1: You know. right? It's not just that the, the rooster crows to start the day. No, the rooster will crow at like nine o'clock at night. The mm-hmm. rooster will crow repeatedly. At four o'clock in the afternoon. And if you have more than one rooster, and we now have, we currently have two, they will carry on conversations with one another across the yard. So it'll be like the chicken equivalent of, see, so our, our roosters are Chip and Bob. And so throughout the day, we hear the rooster equivalent of, hey, Bob. Hey, Chip. Hey, Bob. Hey, Chip. Hey, Chip. Over and over, hey Bob, just, where are you now? And it just it just continues, and eventually, like you just ignore it, mm. and you just don't even hear it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, somebody comes to visit, and they remark on it, and then you hear it for like the next four days, Why? Just all the, the time. Yelling hey me. Bob, <laughs> shut up. Hey Chip. So, I, I, the guard donkey cannot be any more annoying than that.
2: And your threshold for annoying animal sounds has been set up pretty high. There, it really is. I, I was also going to marvel. You talk about farm life, you know, and, and it's very entirely possible that this country has, for you know, the the it was great when uh, was it was Ford had the God Made a Farmer. Uh, and that was Dodge. Uh, Dodge. So Dodge has this ad observing something, a part of American life that kind of is getting forgotten. Mm-hmm. But I will tell the farmers of America, having two small children, for some reason they completely own the first couple years of a child in the storybooks. Every one of them is a cow goes moo, a pig right? goes. Moo. It's all farm animal stories. For a for a for a
1: urban society, mm. you would think it would be more like the pigeon goes coo, the pigeon goes poop, right? The the subway rat goes, yeah.
2: The cockroach goes, you know, yeah. You're right. For obviously on the one hand, of course, this is very cute, and I'm guessing kids can make the noises and it's easy first words and all that kind of stuff. But it was I do I was like I like five or six you know farm. Animal, you know, storybooks on sitting on my, my younger son's bookshelf right now, and I was like, all right, why, you know, is it that they're easy to draw? Or is there something that just you know they just own it uh, much more than you know any other animals? Forest, like forest animals like wait, we can't get anything, all right? We got we got owls going hoot, we got bears going growl, none of that for us. So,
1: Sorry, and forget the grasslands. I mean, there's just yeah, you know, there's nothing. Know,
2: the prairie hey, dogs are like, hey, we have stories to tell. We're being excluded from the,
1: you know. It's a little known fact that I just made up, that the uh, <laughs> children's book farm industry is actually bigger than the farming industry <laughs> exactly, in this country. yes. You know. Making, actually, that's not true because nobody's reading books anymore. Yeah. Uh, not even three-year-olds. Now they're reading the the e-books. And a little the Siri is telling them, the cow says moo.
2: <laughs>
1: and, uh Maybe Charles Cook could get a job reading children's books uh, with that amazing accent. I bet our kids would become smarter. Don't you think? I think our kids would actually become smarter if Charles Cook could, could read these books to our kids.
2: There is some sort of, like, bizarre, you know, um, nanny story or something. I'm picturing a sitcom. Charlie
1: <laughs> Cook was Charles getting- in charge. <laughs>
0: I think Charles it's been CW done.
1: I'm not sure, but uh, can we get Willie Ames involved in that? Maybe Scott Bayo too. That would okay. be that would be amazing. <laughs>
2: Charles <laughs> corrects Charles.
1: <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I would I would watch that. Yeah. I would uh, I would watch that. Every night I think uh, if i have given the opportunity, where were we going with this? We were talking about chickens, barnyard uh, school books, and uh children's I, books
2: i think we we have driven our tractor off into the ditch i i yeah. I, I
1: think you're right well, perhaps on that note, we should uh, uh bid everybody.
2: Uh, farewell until the, uh, the next week. I appreciate you hanging out with me. This has been fun. Well, this has been fantastic. I, I wanted. I, I know as much as you enjoy and are great at what you do on NRA News, that you had kind of a side of yourself you wanted to showcase and kind of to tell stories that were not necessarily uh, tied into the Second Amendment and kind of the news of the day. And so I'm really glad you have this opportunity. This is a great program. And, uh, you know, it, it's a um, – I, I think you speak for more people than than people may have, you know, than. than uh, you speak for a lot of people who don't get their voice heard otherwise uh, in our media landscape, and uh, I, you know, as much as I miss having you up here, I, I'm thrilled. But you clearly things are going fantastically for you, and I'm just so glad that uh, it's worked out so well.
1: I, I really appreciate that, and uh, yeah, listen, you're always welcome back anytime. I, I know that uh, Mickey, I believe, has said that uh, there's no way in hell I'll ever be appearing on uh, T-Jams because you don't have guests.
2: Oh, we don't we do have guests, right? Oh, you we just do? haven't invited you yet. No, oh, so um, so yes. she just she just
1: she just. <laughs> she just huh. <laughs> Well, Boy, that's, this, this that's, took an
2: awkward turn, uh, didn't it? Uh, that's good to know. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, thanks, Mickey. Uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't Mickey who told me that. Maybe it was you who told me that. I'm not sure. Maybe it was somebody I could swear. one of my split
2: personalities. No, we, we actually, when we have people on, we try to have them not talking about um, their day jobs. Yeah. We had Ed Morrissey talking on about his work with Marriage Encounter. Uh, we had Neil DeWing talking about uh, booze, uh, drinks for the holidays. He talks a lot about that. Um, and we had... Um, uh, Amelia Hamilton talking about the joys of the dating scene. And uh that was a it was a fun conversation. so these are not my tales to tell. but let's just say that um Amelia deserves better than uh what she has encountered so far. So I
1: I've heard horror stories of the uh, the dating scene. Uh we were talking at CPAC. Uh, you and I were I think with uh, a couple of our single female friends about yes, just the <laughs>
2: utter you know, we're, we're, we're two, two lucky guys who married up and, and did very well for ourselves. Um, but, you know, if there are times where you and I have felt like, you know, we're, we are who we are and we're not James Bond, we're not, you know. Compared to the young men of today, apparently we have game, right? I mean, they, they, they are, are you know, you know this, this is Shinola and this is not Shinola. <laughs> and they have a very hard time telling the two apart.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe you'll have to join me again, and we can talk more about that. We'll that have to uh, like we'll have to bring talk. in yes. a, a, a a single female in her twenties uh, to to talk about this as well. But I'm looking uh, forward to that. I don't know how we're gonna tie that back into the the farm thing, but uh, don't be a don't be a pig oink oink there I suppose go. maybe there's the, the farm tie in Jim thank you sir appreciate it as always and we will see you in Nashville Tennessee looking forward to it Cam alright we will uh, also see you next week on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool but you can also join me each and every weekday on NRA News Cam and Company live at 2pm Eastern on nranews.com available on demand all the time on iTunes and at iHeartRadio and live weekdays as well 5pm Eastern on Sportsman Channel Again, did I mention that this was live? All ad lib, no writers, just like the podcast. No writers, no huge staff of, uh, of folks t- coming up with the funny jokes that we tell. No Nothing.
2: preparation, no notes. That's No right. sense of what you're doing until That's the microphone right. goes on. Yes. Basically, no. it's yeah.
1: just a flying by the seat of our pants. Yeah. Uh, four hours a day five days a week and then uh, one extra hour here on 40 acres and a fool until we talk again be safe have fun live a little learn a lot and we'll see you here soon on another edition
0: of 40 acres and a fool 40 acres and a fool with cam edwards on the blaze radio network